know you need help believing. We all need help believing. Amen. So that's I don't I don't have anything else for you. I mean I mean this is not the end of the, the service today. Stick around, there may be more. But this part, we need to lean into his help. Amen. I love what Proverbs says. It says to lean not on your own understanding. That means we need to lean into his. Incline your ear to my word is what he says. Incline your ear. That means to lean into. So if you're reclining, that's not where God wants you. He wants you inclining. Leaning into his word. Amen. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you, God. I thank you that you are where our help comes from. When we feel desperate, when we feel in that uh, in that place of fear and, and being paralyzed and not knowing what to do, Father, our help comes from you. So God, we, we embrace that today. We lean into that today. And so Father, I thank you for what the rest of the service holds today. God, I thank you that you have us on a journey. From the time we left our houses today, you have put us in a place of being on a journey. And so, God, as we continue this journey into the rest of our day, the rest of this service, God, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that there would be the God of peace, Jehovah uh, Rapha, the healer. God, I thank you for your shalom peace in this room. God, I just I give you glory, I give you honor, I give you praise for all that you do and all that you continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You received that? Amen. That's good stuff. So before you sit down, turn around and tell somebody hello. Give them a high five, fist bump, hug, whatever you feel like giving. Be generous. Amen. There we go. How y'all doing this morning? Doing good? Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church. And, and if I've never had the opportunity to, to meet you, I hope to do that soon. Um, I have realized that uh, sometimes, sometimes when you're in a position like mine and you get up here, you assume that everybody's been here before. But I have met so many new people coming in and, and uh, joining us. I think I met two or three last weekend. Man, it is so good to see you. And and if you're trying us out, you know, you walked in the doors this morning, never been here before, uh, I think you're going to like us. I believe, God, that we're, you're going to like us. Amen? And I think we've got some of the friendliest people on the planet here. And uh, so it's 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 a good thing. Amen? So with that, I want to welcome our online family, our community that's online, joining us online, and also our uh, church out in California, Kingdom Ranch. Thank you all for joining us this morning. And man, it is it is so good to be in your houses this morning. As you drink your coffee and as you uh, sit in your PJs, we all got up and got dressed. <laughs> but uh, some of us even took a shower this morning. Thank God. That's always good. That's always good. So we, we want to welcome you guys. Thank you so much for joining us online. So with that, I, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a lot of stuff to do this morning. And it's some things that, that came to me just in the last day. Um, 
we have a good friend in Israel named uh, Richard Frieden. Richard Frieden's been here. He's been part of our church family for many years, and he is our contact there in, in, in Jerusalem. He has a ministry in downtown Jerusalem ministering to kids. But uh, Richard is supposed to, we've got him on the schedule. He's supposed to come uh, November 19th, I think. November 19th, Richard's supposed to be here to kind of give us a download of what we are, uh, well, how, how, what he's doing in, in Israel and how we are helping. We always, every year, we give him an end of the year tithe, and it's usually pretty, pretty good. And, uh, I mean, I'm talking over $10,000 good. So it's, y'all, y'all in your heart for Israel, I, I love it. And we do pray, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for Israel. We are supporters of Israel. We stand with Israel. And, and, uh, because there's, there's a lot of people in this world that don't. So they need all the friendship that we can, we can muster. And so I got a, um, I got an email, uh, let's see, the 13th. When was that? Thursday? Friday. Friday was there? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Oh, ooh. I hated those movies. Uh, Anyways, the 13th, he, he sent this, uh, this email to me and he is, as a matter of fact, him and his wife are stateside right now. They were supposed to go home, go back to Israel on the 8th. Of course, everything broke out over there on the 7th. So he's here and they, they can't get out of here right now. So, um, anyways, he, I don't know how many of y'all know that in, when you are born in Israel and you live there, that every person has to serve in the Israeli Defensive Forces, the IDF. Every person has to say, I mean, male, female, whatever, you have to serve at least two years in the military there. And then you're a part of the reserve so that if if anything breaks out, you get called up into the reserves and you're involved. If you're in Israel, you're involved. And so um, my friend Richard is a, um, he was born in America, but his, his Jewish Hebrew roots are in Israel. And he, when he got old enough to, to leave the States, he went to, he's dual citizenship in Israel. So he's, he's got all that thing there. Um, he was a part of the, uh, Israeli, uh, police, uh, force. He was a narcotics officer, I believe. And uh, Richard is, he said, when you come to Israel, come and I will be your bodyguard. Richard's bad. <laughs> and uh, you, to look at him, you wouldn't know that he was, but he is, I wouldn't tangle with him in the, I wouldn't even tangle with him out on the street, much less the woods, you know. So anyways, he sent me an email this week and kind of gave me a rundown of where they're at. And so. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a little bit of this to you. Is that alright? Because he, he's asking us to be involved. He's, he's wanting us to be involved, uh, in, in, uh, what's going on there in the war. So, uh, there's a lot to this, but, <clears throat> but I just highlighted a few things. What he said, excuse me. What he says here is, he says, in the early hours of October 7th, I was startled by the texts from family and friends back home indicating the scores of Hamas terrorists from Gaza launched 
an unprecedented brutal assault on on Israeli cities and townships. Hamas is now calling for an uprising on Israelis in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem, commonly known as the West Bank region. On October 11th, in the early evening hours, Israel's northern region came under imminent danger from terrorist factions out of Lebanon. And citizens have been directed to take shelter as needed. This is a fluid situation and we are, we are tasked, tasked to do our part to support the war effort in Israel. So, um, bottom line, he says our goal, what he's been given, the, the mandate he's been given, our goal is to purchase urgently needed tier one protective gear, ballistic helmet, ballistics, helmets and and vests for a group of 20 Israeli reserve fighters currently preparing to go into battle. So he he is calling out for us to help this uh this group of reserve fighters. They don't have the adequate equipment needed to to fight and so he says, "Could you please help monetarily?" We do have a fund set up in this church that people give to 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 send over to Israel. But today I'm asking you, um, I'm asking you to, to pray about what you would do to help uh, get these guys uh, protected. Amen. We know Psalm 91. You know, the Lord's protection is there for us. Uh, and, and it's there for them. They're believing Psalm 91. But they are, they are warriors. They are, they are soldiers and they need our help. So this morning I've got these boxes right up here on the stage. And if you feel led or if you feel, um, like you want to, like you want to give to that, I would say let's make a, let's make a dent in this, in the, in what their goal is. Their goal is $20,000 to help get these guys supplied. So I think we can make a good dent. Um, and whatever the Lord tells you to do, do it. So if you, if you write a check, make it out to Northern Colorado Cowboy Church, but in the memo put the IDF fund, IDF fund and, or Richard Friedman, whatever you want to put in the, just so that we know we can, we can put it towards that. Okay. If you're giving online, there's a, there's a place in the tabs of where to, to give and Israel is in there. So you can, you can give directly. In that, uh, in that sense to, to Israel. So I encourage you to do that. We're going to do things personally. Lynette and I are, but, um, they, if, if you don't feel led to give financially or, or monetarily, please be in prayer for Richard and his family. His two kids, uh, Roe and Sheer are, are in Israel. Uh, Roe's in a kibbutz, kibbutz. It's a community. I had to look that up. Uh, it, it is a community of, of people, but it, they're in the northern region, so he's he's fairly safe as far as no rockets making in that far. And his uh, Richard's daughter Sheer, uh, she is in uh, in Jerusalem, and uh, I think yeah, she's in the center of Jerusalem. So both are relatively safe, he said, but they still need declaration of Psalm 91 spoken over them. So when you pray. For them, go to Psalm 91 and pray Psalm 91 over them, and uh, and because they mean they mean the world to us. At this point, Richard will still be here on the 19th of of uh, November, 
So put that on your calendar and get ready because he's, he is, uh, such a cool dude. So you good? All right. You got your Bibles with you this morning? Three of you brought Bibles? Good deal. Good job. High five to you three. Um, anybody else turn on your device or whatever you got, Bible on your phone or whatever. And this morning I'm going to continue with a message that I started last week um, called Consumers versus Contributors. Consumers versus Contributors. Were, were you all here last week? Who was here last week? All right. Well, good. I'm glad you came back. I'm glad I didn't run you off. Um, we're continuing with this. Uh, I, I'm not calling it a series. This is just one message. That just it's It's longer than what I have time. So I'm trying to, to section it up so that we can go from one to the other and, and all be on the same page. But um, I was when I was preparing these messages, I was thinking about a banner. I, I go to I go to an MMA gym uh, every Monday, Wednesday and Friday and work out. And it's it's awesome to be in that community of people. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in an MMA, MMA gym, but it's pretty intimidating. It's pretty intimidating, but I mean, my one of my coaches, a three-time world champion mixed martial art fighter, and um, yesterday I got to uh, I got to baptize eight people from my gym, and and I mean, it is so cool to be in that kind of community and uh, to see God beginning to move through that community. Um, so um, we've got a banner that's hanging on the wall in the gym. And I've said this before, but and you may remember it, but I, every day I walk in and there's this banner that says, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. Man, if it doesn't challenge you, it don't change you. So that is my goal in this uh, message that I'm doing is to challenge you because I want to see the change. I, I don't know where the church got off. I don't know when the church got off. Of, of trusting God uh, in, with finances and, and with giving, with generosity. But we have. There's, there's many who have gotten off track of to what, uh, what it means. So if you have your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to start where I left off last week. But uh, I did want to reiterate what it, what it means to be a consumer and what it means to be a contributor. So the definition that I have for consumer is a person who purchases purchases goods and services for personal use. Sounds sounds about right, don't it? I love that when we send out send out our end of the year letter of people who've given and we give them a total so they can turn that into their to the to their taxes and stuff like that. Um, down at the bottom, usually there's a there's a footnote on those letters that says no goods or services was was exchanged in this in this uh, this letter of how how you gave. So the church is not a goods or service. The, the the church is not meant to be a consumer place. Amen. But then the definition of contributor is this: a person who gives to help achieve or provide something. A person who gives to help achieve or provide something. So that's what church is all about. Church is a, a place of contributors, not consumers. That's that's the idea anyways. But uh, Jesus did not design the church to be a place of consumers. 
Yet there are so many people in the body of Christ that treat it that way. They they come in and, and they sit down and they say, what have you got for me? I gave my tithe. I gave my offering. I, I, what do you have for me? Or let's see what you have for me and then I'll tithe or give based upon how good your message was today. It ain't worth it. Don't, don't, don't try that because I, I, I preach as good as I can, but I'm not going to please everybody. So it's not, the church is not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about Holy Spirit. It's about having a place where people can come and not just sit, but it come and be taught and equipped to go and do the work of the ministry. Not to come in and check your, check your list. I went to church today. I went to church this week and, and make you, this is not, this is not meant to be a feel good place. I hope, I hope you feel good when you leave. I hope you, you got a smile on your face, but that's not what it's meant for. That's not the goal that we're trying to get. We come in and sometimes we absorb all the attention and the energy of love. We absorb all the attention and energy of peace, of healing, of salvation, and of freedom. That's that's what we do a lot of times. And when we do that, when we absorb that energy, when we absorb that attention that is to be put on the Word of God, that is to be put on the love of Jesus, that is to be put on being equipped to, to love God. When we do that, we are handcuffing the Holy Spirit to, to not be able to do what Holy Spirit has been sent to do. Amen? Amen. He lives on the inside. He don't, he don't float around in the air and, and not affect your life. He's on the inside of us. When we give our lives to Jesus, He comes and lives on the inside of us. We get filled with the Holy Spirit, so it comes out of us. Filled to overflowing, and the Holy Spirit can begin to equip those around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. But here's the deal. If people come into the church and they, they sit and get, and don't do anything with it outside of church, is it all their fault? I don't believe it's all their fault. I believe the preachers, I believe the ministers, the leaders in the church have to take some responsibility somewhere. Because we allow it, we, we sometimes allow those things. The, what happens is it's a response from church leaders to allow that to happen and even be empathetic and with emphasis on pathetic. Um, but we're, we're empathetic and, and adapted to consumerism. We adapt the culture to, I mean, what preacher don't want to be liked? You know, you want people to like you. You want, you want people to, to trust you and want people to, to give themselves, especially time like this, uh, to give, to give to them. And, and so a lot of times, um, preachers will play into the consumerism. I heard this in 2015 that there are 17 models for church growth that are available to a church. There's 17 models of that, but not one of them is biblically based. They are, they are franchise uh, principles. So if, here's the deal, if we're working, if we as church leaders, if we're working on the importance of putting butts in seats, we can use one of these franchise things, models and, and we can become a mega church. 
There was a time that I felt like we should be a mega church. There was a time that I felt that way. There was a time that I, I feel like that, you know, we had, we had one resurrection weekend, the first resurrection weekend that we had when we moved into this building in 2009. We had uh, over a thousand people come through our doors that weekend. Three services, over a thousand people. That's pretty cool. And, and for a preacher, man, we, oh, we, we bite a hold of that bait, you know. <laughs> we love that. But the thing about it is, it's not about putting butts in seats. Because if, if we are doing that, what we're doing is producing consumers. We're producing people to, to say, I go there and get my deal and then I do nothing with it. <clears throat> There's no difference between the church and Walmart. No difference. Most churches, and I'm not down on mega churches. I think, man, if you get, if you get 10,000 people in your church, you better use that. You better leverage that to the best of your ability. But don't drain the people. Don't pull people in just for your own consumerism. Because church leaders can be just as bad. I mean, how many, how many of y'all have been to Shields? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, that, that, that's become the, the Mecca now. That's, that's the Mecca of, of, of stores. I mean, I go there to get a pack of golf balls. Okay? I leave with a, I leave with a golf shirt, a new ball cap, I leave with uh, things like uh, socks. Me and Lynette, every time we go there, we get a we get a pair of Bomba socks. We love Bombas. Anyways, we get socks. We get shotgun shells, grill spices, bullets, a fishing reel, and I don't even fish. I mean, you see what I'm saying? You go to Shields and it's, it's like, oh, you know, the, the angels sing when you walk in the doors. And you, you know, you're there for a specific purpose, but they design that store to play into your consumerism. They, they, they want you to buy. Every time I go, things are in a different spot. I was just thinking. But they want me to walk in and consume, and that's not wrong for a business. That's not wrong for retail business. It's not wrong. But when I leave there, I'm not transformed. I'm just broke. <laughs> With a handful of stuff, you know. It's funny, we can spend $500 in shields and not buy the 10 cent bag to carry it out, you know. <laughs> because we have standards, you know. But you, all you do is leave there with a bunch of stuff and it doesn't transform you. It just gives you more stuff to get rid of. And the way that I lose golf balls, I go there quite a bit. <laughs> but that's not why the church was established. It was designed 
church, Jesus had in mind that the church was designed for lovers. For lovers of the relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. He wants to produce lovers out of us. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, right? It's the, His love has been poured out in our hearts. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's what the church is about is to allow the love of God to be poured out in our hearts, equipped with His love, with His honor, with His peace, with healing, health, with prosperity. He, He has designed us to, to be equipped with those things so that we go out, but we don't consume them and sit on them or, or we don't come to church to pay for them. We come to church to be equipped so that we can go out and do the work of the ministry. Uh, Ephesians 4.11 says that. I remember the song uh, when I was when I was a little kid. I, when I grew up in the Free Will Baptist Church, uh, the song that they would play or the song that they would sing at the every, at the end of every one of the pastor's sermons, and it's called "Just as I Am." Remember that song? "Just as I Am, Without One Plea." And, and it's, it's an invitation song to come to Jesus. You know, Jesus is here. Come just you as you are. And we do. We come just as we are, right? right. But here's the deal. He doesn't leave us that way. Amen. It's not that He wants us to come to Him and not change and not be transformed. We must be transformed. Amen. He wants you just as you are. But He doesn't leave you that way. God wants to encounter us. And if he can encounter us, he can pull, he can pour the fullness of who he is on into each one of our hearts. Amen? Amen. So in that, he wants us to become givers, providers, and contributors. So you're here in Acts chapter two, right? Acts chapter two. And this is, this is where we ended up last week. And I just want to start off back there again. Verse 41 says this. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. This, this just came to me. Why 3,000? Why 3,000? When, when Moses led the children of Israel out of, out of uh, Egypt and into the, to the wilderness, they went to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. They went there. And while they were there, God called Moses up on the mountain to... Um, to download the Ten Commandments, download the law to him so that he could bring it back to the people. So they began, they thought Moses had died on the mountain, so they built a, a golden calf. Remember that story? They built the golden calf, they began to worship, and when Moses came down, he was hot when he saw them worshiping the golden calf, saw all the stuff that was going on. And when Moses saw that, he... He broke the, the tablets. He threw them down. He was so frustrated, so angry. And when God took care of business by Moses' request, there were 3,000 people that died in the wilderness because they were worshiping the golden calf. Three thousand. So what did God do? He immediately in the church replaced it. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, the fire was poured out, he automatically resurrected the three thousand not resurrected them from the dead but but brought into the the family that three thousand that was, should have come out of the wilderness that's a side note 
verse 42 says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the, to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles, miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those who, those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Man, I love that. I love that because it, it brings out the, the meaning. The very first church that began to happen as the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the people that began to, the people that came in became contributors and not consumers. They weren't just there to get from God and, and checklist this off of their, off of their punch list. That first model of what they were doing, it says that they devoted themselves. I like this in verse 42. They devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the, the, the giving of the word. Um, that word devoted means to, to give unremittingly. The word, un- I had to look up what unremitting, unremitting means. It means unceasing. They continued the generosity to care, to give to people, to care for the church, to make sure everybody had everything that they needed in order to do what God had called them to do. Amen? It said in verse 46, it said their, their generosity. It says they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Y'all know what generosity is. Giving freely. Having the wherewithal to say, I'm not here for my needs to be met. I'm here to meet other people's needs. And if I do that, if I'm a, if I'm a sower of generosity, then I'm going to reap generosity. Amen? I'm going to reap it. And so all these people just fell into this natural flow of what Jesus was doing. When they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they fell into this natural flow of generosity. They did not let their possessions have rule and reign over them. They did not hold on to their possessions. They sold and shared. And and so I I was looking up this morning what a kibbutz was. You know, that's exactly what a kibbutz is. It's a community of people that are sharing and giving to one another. They're, they're, they're making sure that they're, they all have their needs met. Amen? Amen. So that's what the church was about. And there's not one point of, when you, when you read this, there's not one point of selfish ambition or, or uh, selfish receiving that is mentioned. The people weren't doing that. They were generous. I wrote something down here in my notes. I can't even remember what I wrote it down for. Oh, well. But last week we talked about the story of the rich young ruler. You remember that? The rich young ruler that, in, that Jesus encountered. So I want to I wanna go back to that just real quick. Uh, Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus and, and his 12 were on the east side of the Jordan River 
in a, in a region called Perea. Perea was um, probably more than likely where, um, where uh, Joshua in the Old Testament led the children of Israel from the wilderness. It was a part of the, a part of the wilderness there. He led them from that wilderness across the Jordan River. And the first town they come to, the first town that they encountered was Jericho. So Perea, the region of Perea is right across the Jordan River from Jericho. So here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, it says this. It says, someone came to Jesus. One one version says a, a rich man. Another version says a teenager. But he was a young man. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I, must I do to have eternal life? He's asking the right guy, isn't he? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to, to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors as yourself. Verse 20 says, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Verse 22 says, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. He went away sad because he had many possessions. I write in my Bibles when I read this story, or great possessions had him. He was taken with his possessions to the point to where he did not want to give up his possessions, but he wanted eternal life. And Jesus said, look, you've got to make a heart decision here. Jesus wasn't just telling him to get rid of his stuff so that he can get rid of his stuff. Because Jesus really don't care about the stuff. He cares about the heart of the man. And if the heart of the man is not in the right spot, he is going to reject what eternal life is calling him to. That is following Jesus. He's going to reject following Jesus because he thinks that Jesus is messing with his stuff. And therefore, he went. the Bible says he went away sad. There's another version that says he went away sorrowful. There's another version that says he went away angry. And so this man is, he got his, he, he got a boo-boo on his feelers. Because what he, what Jesus told him to do was what Jesus had in mind for the church. The church hadn't happened yet, but this is what Jesus is setting up. This becomes his mode of operation, becomes his calling. So what did the, the rich young ruler miss out on by going away sorrowful, sad, and angry? He missed out on uh, love and joy. He missed out on a community that's contributing to the advancing of the kingdom of God. He missed out on miracle signs and wonders. You know, like we read there in Acts, when they begin to give, when they begin to, to be generous with everything that God had put into their hands, when that began to happen, it says that miraculous signs and wonders begin to happen. And, and it comes through the heart, a person of purity of heart. Amen? So he missed out on these things. And, and it says that he went away sad. Sorrowful and angry. 
And when the disciples saw this, I believe this is this is I try to put myself in these situations and and see what's going on in these situations. And when they heard that man go away angry, probably grumbling at what Jesus told them, they're sitting there with their mouth gaped open. They're going, whoa, what's up with him? I mean, we all, we as disciples all, when Jesus said, come and follow me, we all dropped everything that we had and began to follow him. And they're sitting there looking at Jesus and he turns around and looks at them and he knows what they're thinking. So he continues to go on. Let's see how Jesus responded to them. Verse 23. Verse 23. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when when his disciples heard this, it says the disciples were established were established, astonished. The disciples were astonished and said, who then, who then in the world can be saved? This was surprising to them. Who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. So Jesus threw this thing out there and, and he said how hard it is, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So I, I, I begin to look into this a little bit and I, I've preached on this several times and you may have heard me preach on this before, but I begin to to think, you know, probably the biggest animal that they really dealt with in that time, in that region, was a camel. You ever been around a camel? They're gross. They're ugly. They're gross. I heard it put this way, that a camel is is a horse built by a committee. But he says, he says, look, y'all put in your mind this camel, this big old camel can fit through the eye of this needle, which is a small, I mean, it's, it's hard enough to fit thread through the eye of a needle, right? I mean, you need your bifocals and everything to get that even started. So as I, as I was looking into this, I, I know what I teach on this when I, when I minister on this very point of what Jesus said. So I began to look into it and I found out there is a huge debate over this, what Jesus said. I think it's so good because there's so many things Jesus says that it causes huge debates. And for 2,000 years, men have been debating what Jesus is really saying here. And so there's a huge, huge debate on the validity of what I'm fixing to tell you. I struggled to even use this analogy. But after much research, I, I looked at it from all sides and, and what certain people teach about this and what people think that Jesus means. And I decided to move forward with my view. So if you don't agree with my view, I'm not going to debate with you. I just think it's great, a, a great visual of what Jesus was saying when when he began to talk about this. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go with my gut, all right? I'm going to go with my gut. If you don't like my gut, 
love me anyways. You have to love me because if you don't love me, you won't go to heaven. So I'm going to, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use this analogy. I'm going to use this, what I've been taught. Um, Israel, let me just say this. Israel is smart. People that come, I mean, they're on the cutting edge of technology. They're on the cutting edge of politics. They're on the cutting edge of safety, security. Um, I mean, they're, when I was considering doing, uh, for, for the Parkinson's diagnosis, I, I went in and I considered going to have the, 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 my brain, the, the places where those wires meet up. I was going to have it ablated. I'm going to have it uh, done with ultrasonic. Uh, infrared technology, uh, and have the tremor taken away through them going through in my brain and ta- using a laser to take that piece out. Thing about it is, it's, I talked to my doctor and he says, once you do that, you can't get that back. It's gone forever. And if they mess up, it'll mess up with other things in your brain. So he said, I, I don't think you should do that. But where was I going to go do it? I was going to go to Israel and do it. Because they are on the cutting edge of technology. So, um, back to the story. There, every, every Middle Eastern city in that time, in biblical times, had a wall built around the city. And each, each wall had a gate. So, if it was a four-sided city, they had four gates. Big gates. And these gates were made out of huge timbers. Huge wood gates. So in the daytime, they would push those gates open and, and people could come in and out of those gates into the city. But at nighttime, as, as the sun started sitting, setting, it, they would close those gates together so that the enemies can't come in by night. But they had a gate in the wall that was a small gate called the eye of a needle. So that if anybody showed up after dark and needed to get into the city, especially a merchant who had a camel and had a pack on it, and they were packing in supplies or packing in things, they would come to that gate, and and the gate was only big enough to bring a camel through on its knees. So they'd come up to the eye of the needle, that little gate, and... The, the guy leading the camel would have to get the camel down on its knees, unpack everything off the camel, have it crawl on its belly through that gate, and once it got on the other side, then they'd go out and get their boxes or whatever and bring them back through. And then they would shut that gate. It was to keep the enemy out. If the enemy came through that, you know, uh, breached that gate, it was only one at a time. You just sat and popped them off, you know. <laughs> Kill them suckers. But Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying here, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That gate's called the eye of the needle. Than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He's not saying if you're rich, it's impossible for you to go. And that's what, that's what happens whenever you think about a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. It can't happen. Well, God can do anything. Yes, He can. But God don't always do anything. Amen? He can. I mean, He can give you a million dollars right now. But what would you do with it? 
Anyways, I, I'm, that's not a question to be pondering at this point. I just think that, that, that God, um, Jesus was using this as an example that they could get a hold of. It is difficult for a man to enter the kingdom of, a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Can it happen? Yes, it can. A rich man can enter into salvation. A rich, a rich man can be saved. But the difficulty is, is they've got a lot of baggage. They've got a lot of baggage that comes with their wealth. A lot of, a lot of stuff that they're packing around. Because a lot of times rich people find their identity in the stuff that they have. And if you take away the stuff that they have, just like the rich young ruler, you take away the stuff he has and, and tell, tell him to give it to somebody else. All of a sudden he thinks, my identity's gone. And Jesus is really uh, pushing for the, his disciples to know this. But they, they don't get it. They don't get it. So he goes with the premise of, well, with man it's impossible. With God everything is possible. So he just leaves it at that. Because the, the disciples can't get a hold of this. Everything we trust, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, he's saying no one can get in the kingdom while loaded down with their own wealth. They can't get in there loaded down with entitlement. They can't get in there loaded down with inheritance. Your inheritance that, that you have can't buy the kingdom of God. You can't get in there fulfilling requirements, checking list, you know, checklist, punch list, like we talked about last week. And you can't bully your way in. I mean, try to bully God and see what happens. God won't be intimidated by anyone. But everything that we trust to succeed or that has brought us success needs to be offloaded outside the gates. We can't bring our stuff in the gates that identify us, that, that we feel like identifies us. Because when we become followers of Jesus, that's what identifies us. That's our identity. Amen? Yeah. Bottom line is, is that consumers are spectators. Consumers are spectators. God's kingdom was never designed for spectators. There is no room for spectating in God's kingdom. There's no room. Contributors are participants. So we are either participants or we're spectators. And if we come in to a, a, a place like this or a, or a church, when we go into church, if we're just there to spectate and to check it off our list, there is no room for that. Where room becomes more uh, better, more better, <laughs> is when we are participants, participants, uh, participants are contributors to the cause. So let's, let's look at this real quick. I, I ain't got much time left, but I want to, I want to show you something that, uh, is over in Luke chapter 19. There's a, there's an encounter that Jesus has with another man. And as a matter of fact, when Jesus encountered the rich young ruler in the, uh, in, in the region of Perea, and the guy went away mad because he had great possessions or great possessions had him, when he goes away, and Jesus is trying to explain this to his disciples, he then 
is able to show the complete opposite of the rich young ruler. So here in, in um, Luke chapter 19, I, I've, never, I've never really seen this before um, because it's in two, different, in two different books and I haven't correlated the time frame. But this happened in the same instance that Jesus met the rich young ruler on one side of the Jordan. He crosses the Jordan over to Jericho and he runs into another rich man. And, and it all happened. And the only way that I found this is I was getting ready to put my message together this week. And I, I thought, you know, what, what Jesus, uh, purpose, what was Jesus' purpose on this earth? To seek and save the lost. And so I looked that up. And when I looked that up, I found this. And, and so uh, as Jesus left the region of Perea and crossed over the Jordan, this is what he came in contact with. Verse 19, or chapter 9, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho. So he left Perea and he entered into Jericho. And he made his way through town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly came down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to the, to be a guest of the notorious, of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people in their, in the, on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Don't you wish that IRS would do the same thing? Maybe they should. Jesus responded, salvation has come to that, to your home today, for this man has shown himself to be true, a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and saved those who are lost. Did you see that? See, the story of Zacchaeus was, was an expression of the camel who goes through the eye of the needle. He was that, he was that very example. He was that, that person. Because the way that I look at what Jesus was saying, Jesus, you're not the one that leads the camel through the eye of the needle. You're the camel. Thank you. I come to church to hear that I was a camel. No, Jesus is the leader and we are the camel because we got all this stuff packed on us and we've got to offload that in order to get through that gate. Zacchaeus here was the expression of a camel being taken through the eye of the needle, the gate and the wall. So when we contrast the rich young ruler with Zacchaeus, here's what we find. The rich young ruler presented himself in front of Jesus, stopped him in his tracks, presented himself in front of Jesus for everybody to see that I have pull. Trying to impress everybody with what his success was about. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to catch a glimpse of Jesus. 
He didn't get in front of Jesus. He just went up. He just went in the tree. He wasn't looking to be uh, all his attention or Jesus' attention to be put on him. He just went up in the tree. He just wanted to see Jesus. The rich young ruler, his self-made success meant more than eternal life. Where Zacchaeus offloading all his self-made success, he offloaded everything and said, come to my house. Come to my house. The rich young ruler was sorrowful, sad, and angry when he left. Zacchaeus was full of generosity, repentance, great excitement, and great joy. When we get in front of Jesus, when we're in this place of getting in front of Jesus, like right here in, in a church, and I'm not saying I'm Jesus, I'm just saying when we present Jesus, when the church presents Jesus, when we get in front of him, it should it should drive generosity on the inside of us. It should drive repentance, just like he did. He said, if I've cheated anyone, if I've cheated anyone, I will I will return fourfold, four times as much as I've cheated them. And this should be a place of excitement. This should be a place of great joy. We shouldn't walk around church and have this look on our face like we just ate lemons and look down our nose at people. That's not what it's about. It's about great joy. It's about being in a place of great joy, great excitement, generosity, and repentance. See, the eternal life of the rich young ruler was was looking for didn't come to him because he walked away from it. But for Zacchaeus, it came to him, and it says his whole household. His whole household, because he was generous, because he was repentant, because he was excited, because Jesus had come to his home. In the story of the rich young ruler, there was a teaching moment following him walking away. And that teaching moment, Jesus said, it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But the teaching moment that came from Zacchaeus is that Jesus stepped into his purpose. Jesus stepped into his purpose by by um, saying that very thing, that for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus was lost, but now he's found. Zacchaeus was a hoarder, now he's generous. Zacchaeus was sad because of his stature. He couldn't see Jesus, but he climbed a tree and excitement and joy came whenever Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Ain't that so cool? Jesus invites himself. He invites himself. All we got to do is take the bait. That's all we got to do. And Jesus began to speak his purpose on, uh, began to speak of his purpose on being on the earth. He said this, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. When Jesus said the son of man, Jesus called himself a lot of things, but very rarely did he call himself the son of God. He spoke of himself a lot as the son of man. So why did he do that? Why did he identify Himself, or have other people identify him as the Son of Man. Right? You can come on up and start if you want to. Why does he do that? 
Because Jesus wants to identify with every human being on this planet. That if the Son of Man can do this, it's not limited just to Jesus. If the Son of Man can do this, it's not limited to Him because He's so special. Because He's God. He's the God-man. He's saying, look, if the Son of Man can do this, any man, any human being, anybody can do this. Every human following Jesus has the same ability to change themselves and others. We have the right because the Son of Man, Jesus, the, was a man, was 100% a man. He didn't sin. That's where he beats us on that part. But because he is the Son of Man, each one of us can identify with that and bring that same attribute to where we are. So, if we want the, there's, there's no place in the, in the Bible that Jesus said the Son of Man was a consumer of all things. The Son of Man is a contributor. The Son of Man is generous. I mean, that's why Jesus went to the cross to give Himself for us. He gave Himself for us. He's a giver. The Heavenly Father is a giver. John 3.16. says that he gave his only begotten son who did he give him to the chosen frozen no he gave to everyone Jesus is a giver heavenly father is a given Jesus was saying when he said the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost Jesus is saying my mission is now your mission your mission is to tell people about me I read the other day that 54%, 54, I think it's 54% of Christians, 54% who claim to be evangelical Christ followers, 54% have never even heard the Great Commission. How many have heard the How many have not heard the Great Commission? Sorry. Okay. I just, I just, I just cornered everybody up there. Uh, okay, who have? You know what the Great Commission is? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them, right? That's the Great Commission. 54% of those people who are Christ followers have never heard the Great Commission, have no idea what the Great Commission is. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, to seek and save the lost is my mission, and now I'm passing it to you. Because it's your now co-mission. It's your co-mission. I will be with you as you carry out my mission. But this is my mission for you. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's our idea of being in church. To be equipped to then go out into the world. To go out. uh, We're not holding it in these fixed walls. We're giving it to you because you... This is not the temple of God. You're the temple of God. And you have the Holy Spirit. And you are equipped to tell people about Jesus. The very thing that got you saved is the very thing that you can use to save others. Let me tell you something. I'm not so naive to say that you are the you are their salvation. No, you are just the catalyst to that salvation. You are the catalyst of who Jesus called you to be rich young ruler's life 
represented the life of a consumer. He couldn't get past what his needs were. But Zacchaeus' life, when we read about him, he was the life of a contributor. When Jesus came into his house, he said, man, all this stuff, all this wealth that I have, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, you know, when you go into somebody's house that's, that's well off, you see things that you're like, man, I wonder what that cost. Whoa, man, that has got to be expensive. I'm sure that Zacchaeus, when he invited Jesus in and the disciples in, they come into the house and they go, whoa, this is what money buys. Look at the success. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, you know what? I'm selling it all. I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving this away. I want to be a contributor to this because I can't be happy until I learn to be a contributor. I can't be happy until I give. That's a foreign concept to so many people in this day and age. It's get, get, get. But when we start to give, it all of a sudden begins to start a cycle of receiving in our lives. I'll tell you, you can't. You cannot outgive God. With a pure heart, you can outgive God ever. So the last two weeks of this message, or last week and this week, is going to drive us into next week. So get ready. I even I even had to bargain. I had to barter with Lynette to get next week. I won. So, <laughs> she gets all this, buddy. <laughs> I'm so glad to be his entertainment. <laughs> Stop it. The rich young ruler lived a life representative of a consumer. Zacchaeus' life was the life of a contributor. So this is the last question I want to ask you as as we close out. And please, when I ask you these questions, don't answer out loud. Just, just, Just hold it inside. Where have you been a consumer? In what areas... Have you been a consumer? And how did you become a consumer? Consumer, Or contrast that, where have you become or where have you been a contributor? I would like to say that we're all contributors. We all have areas that we're really strong in our contributing, but there's always those areas of where and how we've become consumers. It's so easy to get caught up in, in the things that we have and the things that we've been given. And it's, it's easy to get caught up in the um, preconceived ideas of what church world is and what it means. So where, where is it that you've become a consumer? How is it that you've become a consumer? Where is it that you've become a contributor? And how is it that you've become a contributor? And that's what I want to leave you on today. I just want to leave that in your hands because sometimes when you find out what you've been a consumer in, it gets pretty ugly. But like Zacchaeus, we gotta, we gotta repent. 
We've got to have great excitement and great joy for what is what Jesus has invited us to. in mind, God, I I thank you for who you are. I thank you, God, that you have sent your son Jesus to, to give his life. You supplied him to give life to us. God, if we're like the rich young ruler and want to understand how to have eternal life, God, it ain't about us doing things to try to earn try to earn that eternal life. But it's about receiving what you've given us so that we can give you what we've received. So Father, I thank you and I praise you for each and every person that's here. God, I thank you that for the believers that are here, for those that have become Christ followers at some point of their life, they have done that very thing. They have given their life to you as you have given your life to them, to us. So, Father, I thank you and I praise you that you are a giver, that you're a generous God. I pray over each and every person that's here, that's that's walking with you, that, God, that we will be identif- we will be able to easily identify those places in our life that we become consumers. And, God, I pray that we would repent for those things and push those things out of the way and get back into a community of of giving and a community of generosity. So, Father, I thank you for that. God, now I pray that if there's anybody here under the sound of my voice or online that is listening to this, I pray, God, anyone who has never given their life to Jesus, who have never become a follower of Jesus, God, I pray right now that they would just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I give you my life. Thank you for giving me yours. 